And I've been talking about the diet, not because I wanted to be known as a diet person. Cause I was never really interested in like vegan or gluten-free or any of that. I was just like, I'm more interested in books, you know, and stories and learning things than diet. Um, but I've felt like the urge to tell people about this because of how much I suffered and how much of a difference it made to me that I've felt like morally obligated to tell people, even though I don't really enjoy being the diet person. Welcome to episode 147 of my podcast, the Michaela Peterson podcast. Sorry about the lack of episode last week. I got a toddler flu and almost died. What you're about to see is a conversation that's actually from Dr. Mark Goulston's podcast. So I'm the interviewee for a change. He was on my podcast last summer. Mark's an incredibly kind ex-FBI hostage negotiator, psychiatrist, and the author or co-author of nine books. He's also well-known for coaching CEOs and as the inventor of surgical empathy. We've been trying to make this happen for a while now, and I'm glad we did because we covered a lot of interesting topics, I hope. We talked about purpose, my experience with psychedelics, and the difference between coping and healing. We also explored some interesting concepts like surgical empathy and how ayahuasca seems to reconfigure minds. Before we get started, this episode was sponsored by BioOptimizers. If you're experiencing anxiety, depression, stress, or have trouble sleeping, having a routine can make or break you. But there's a super easy to implement thing most of us forget about, magnesium. 50% of Americans are magnesium deficient. Seriously, isn't that insane? Magnesium's proven to help with depression, anxiety, diabetes, blood sugar, blood pressure, and even fat metabolism and digestion, as magnesium is the body's master mineral and powers over 300 critical reactions. And again, 50% of Americans are deficient. Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers is a supplement with all seven organic forms of magnesium and cofactors like manganese and vitamin B6 for enhanced stress relief and performance. Many users report immediately noticing the benefits. Most magnesium supplements are synthetic or only have a couple of types of magnesium in them. Magnesium Breakthrough is the only supplement like this on the market. Make it a habit, be in charge of your well-being. Just take one before bed every night and see how you feel the next day. There's an exclusive offer to get you started. Visit magbreakthrough.com Peterson or use code Peterson at checkout for 10% off. Mother's Day is coming up too. Just saying. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of my wake up call. This is that podcast where I meet people, I get to know a little bit about them, and I want to get to know a lot more about them. But while I'm getting to know them, I figure, why don't you listen in our listeners? And then when my guests uh, use videos, why don't you watch as we get to know each other? And I'm really excited to uh, have, have as my guest the ever elusive. Michaela Peterson, because I was on her podcast and we've been meaning to connect. And because of all kinds of various things, we didn't connect until now. But let me tell you a little bit about her. She's an amazing podcaster. She's a CEO, TEDx, and Oxford Union speaker. She's the host of the Michaela Peterson podcast, where she interviews a wide range of experts and public figures to discuss health natural phenomena, politics, and other topics that are often shied away from. 
by the way, she overcame incredible adversity in the form of severe autoimmune diseases that destroyed her ankle, hip, and brain function after researching and implementing a new diet for which she is now known. She is also the founder of the Lion Diet. Michaela, good to see you again. Cool. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. So let me ask you, if you were to think of the through line, a consistency in your life, a kind of a fill in the blanks, I've always blah, 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 blah. And then if you can also think of your purpose or calling why you are here on this planet and share with us what those are, and then tell us the story of how you develop them. Uh, and let's have a conversation. Okay. So I think if I had to recognize a pattern about how I behaved throughout my life, um, I had a fair, I had a very rough time being sick as a kid with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I think partly because of how I was raised, um, I was always, I was never going to be overcome by it. You know, I didn't, I would, I refused to give up. Right. Um, and I harnessed some sort of anger within myself in order to push back. And I think probably a lot of people with chronic diseases that are fighting them, they probably understand what I mean, but I was like, this isn't going to be what takes me out. So I, I had a lot of doctors throughout my life say, you're going to have this forever. Um, you're going to be on these medications forever. You're not going to be able to have kids, right? Um, you're going to die young, just statistically, you know, and at some point, I think I, I was probably, it was probably fairly young. Maybe when I was 12, I was just like, no, that's not, I'm not, I'm not listening to that. That's not what's happening. And that kind of grew in intensity until I was about 23. And it was really, I would probably describe it as anger of like, that's not how I'm letting my kind of life narrative play out. I'm not going to be the sick person. Um, so I would say that's probably a pattern, like the biggest pattern throughout my life was being able to harness this type of like, I don't know, anger and stubbornness. Um, and that's manifested more recently in, in ways where, you know, with work, I can say, okay, I, I want something to go a certain way. And I don't really believe in glass walls or anything stopping me from doing things. I think that if you try as hard as you can, you can accomplish incredible things. And I think a lot of people are stuck in kind of fake boxes that they make for themselves, right? In these invisible structures saying, well, that's not possible for me because of X. And really none of that's real. You, you can almost do, you can almost do anything, which sounds crazy, but I do believe that. Um, and then can you repeat your second question? I want to do this in the right order. Well, before I re, uh, repeat that, uh, I'm going to give you a new word that I hope you like. Are you okay. open to that? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, because uh, something that was built into me was it's not great to be judgmental. You know, you know I was a therapist. Don't be judgmental. Uh, and as a result, I think I could be manipulated by people. Oh, don't be judgmental. Oh, they have an issue. They, and what's happened is I've gotten older. I've replaced the word judgmental with discerning. Oh, I like that. I like the word discerning. I can be discerning and I'm not being judgmental. So you mentioned the words angry and stubborn. 
both of which can be triggering to other people like, oh, she's going to be high maintenance. And I'd like you to replace both those words with determined. Hmm. I became very determined that nothing was going to stop me. Okay, I can get behind that. It was determination. It just had a, like, it had a, it was serious determination, if that's the case, serious determination. Like there's a wall and this is a decision and this is what I'm doing. So yeah, I I could probably replace anger. I think I had so much negative emotion when I was sick. I don't have that anymore now that I'm better, but I think I had so much negative emotion when I was sick that it felt more like, it felt like if you're climbing up a mountain and you have to really grit and bear it and like up the mountain. And so I equated that with anger, but I mean, determination is reasonable. I can get behind that. Okay. It's just a suggestion. You're also, this is a conversation. You're also reminding me uh, of someone and maybe you'll have her on your podcast. If we can locate her, there's a woman named Anna. I don't know her uh, last name, but I think she has a website called Anna runs America. And she ran across America for, uh, for veterans charities. And a friend of mine interviewed her and he said, why didn't you give up? And she said, as I was running, I kept imagining all the time that I was a blind person seeing for the first time. Wow. So when you're running, Oh, that's a palm tree. Uh, I I must be in the South. Uh, Well, that's a mom and pop uh, business. That's probably not going to be here in six months. And oh, oh, that was a St. Bernard who left that on the sidewalk in front of me. I better avoid that. But just the idea of imagining you're blind seeing for the first time. Wow. And 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 I've actually and, and feel free to use that with audiences, by the way, because a lot of times we have to do something to overcome zoom fatigue. And a lot of people throw in all kinds of pyrotechnics and something you're welcome to use, which I've used because I, I I believe those things can be, you know, kind of stimulating, but distracting, but an exercise I'll do, and you're welcome to do it. I'll say I have a couple exercises. One is I want you to close your eyes for 30 seconds. And when you open them, imagine you're a blind person seeing for the first time. And, and when you open them, notice stuff that you didn't notice. Notice the person next to you. Notice the back of their head. Notice, uh, you know, one of their shirt collar. If you're on a Zoom call, notice the person in the square next to you. Notice their background. Because when you notice, you're more present than just looking, watching, and seeing. And now what I'd like you to do, but you won't be able to hear my instruction, and you know what I'm going to say, is I want you to cover your ears. Uh, and, and then we'll cover them for 15 seconds, uh, and count inside your own head to 15. And then when you uncover your ears, imagine that you're a deaf person listening for the first time. And then the final one, because sometimes I'll give presentations about emotional intelligence. And, I'll, and that's a feeling. Close your eyes, cover your ears. And when you open them, I want you to imagine that you're feeling for the first time. Uh, f- see if you can feel into the room. Is there a level of stress? Is there a level of Zoom fatigue? Is there a level of whatever? 
But but do you follow what I'm saying? It's a way for yeah. helping them use what's already in there to focus them. So uh, anyway, I, I wanted to share that with you because it's it's I, I think it helps us to quickly feel alive. I think that's a good trick. It's probably good when you're doing um, kind of monotonous household tasks to learn how to appreciate those things. Like it's not so bad. It's a lot better than suffering actively. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, but getting back to you, uh, we talked about the through line and then I wanted to you know, speak about what you feel your purpose and calling in life is and what it is that you're here for and what it is that you want to give to the world and how you want to leave the world uh, after they've been involved with you. Okay. Well, I, I actually do have an answer to that. So uh, I, I had a massive transformation with dietary change, right? I went from almost dying, the, from dying, like really um, hip replaced, ankle replaced on like seven medications, some to keep me awake, some to help me sleep, immune suppressants, puffers, like antihistamines just to like live, I, um, antidepressants, painkillers. It was bad. Uh, and those were all prescribed just, just to manage symptoms. And I completely changed my life um, with diet, which is something that the matter. I mean, it was complicated. Like I've been only eating ruminant meat, like beef and lamb since 2017, something that people didn't think that you'd be able to do. And so it's not, it's not that it's not that shocking that the medical community wasn't like, Hey, you should try an all meat diet because nobody thought that. Um, but I think because of the transformation it made for me, so I'm in remission, I'm off of medications. And the only time I have autoimmune flare ups are if I eat something wrong or if I catch a virus, other than that, I'm asymptomatic. And I've been talking about the diet, not because I wanted to be known as a diet person. Cause I was never really interested in like, vegan or gluten-free or any of that. It was just like, I'm more interested in books, you know, and stories and learning things than diet. Um, but I've felt like the urge to tell people about this because of how much I suffered and how much of a difference it made to me that I've felt like morally obligated to tell people, even though I don't really enjoy being the diet person. So tell us about your discovering the power and what you really like most about podcasting. I really like people. Like I kind of, I kind of also don't like people. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I don't like people, but I also find people really interesting. Uh, I find the different way people think very interesting. So I've been doing this segment. So I'll, I'll interview people. So I interviewed you and had you on. That was a great podcast. Uh, but I, I also do something called opposing views. So I'll talk about a subject that people really um, have extreme emotions about. So something like abortion and I'll bring somebody on who has really extreme emotions. That's pro-life. Someone who has really extreme emotions is pro-choice. And <clears throat> I don't talk to them together because that would be a disaster. Right. But I'll ask them the same questions and just have two separate conversations and then show people the difference in the responses. And I just find it unbelievably interesting. Again, I think um, in the last number of years, our society is split so badly. It's so fragmented that there are people on the right and people on the left that think the other side's evil. 
like stupid and evil. Right. And that doesn't quite make sense. So I've been trying to bridge the gap being like, look how, you know, look how both of these people can kind of look reasonable, but have completely the opposite views. And it isn't that interesting. So I think I like, I think I like podcasting because I'm able to talk to a lot of people. It's also like, I'm lucky. I can talk to anybody. Basic, I can't talk to anyone, but I can talk to experts in fields that I would never be able to get to otherwise, right? Like when I was trying to research health things, I was like, well, who's a, you know, toxic mold specialist. And then instead of waiting three months to talk to someone, I can just say, do you want to come on the podcast? Which is like sneaky, maybe a little bit selfish, but I figure other people are interested in the same thing. So it's just, I love it. It's a, it's crazy to be able to make money off of having conversations with people. It's crazy. Can I share something with you about, uh, because you triggered in me, uh, my sensitivity and awareness to the divisiveness and, and, and why people so adamantly hold on to points of view. Can I share with you my latest thinking on it? Oh, definitely. So my latest thinking is that people develop psychological adhesions, which is different than a psychological attachment. Okay. Because if you go into, if you need surgery, surgery that saves your life, you may be, the surgery may be saving your life, but your inner body is not used to being invaded. So after the surgery is over, you can sometimes develop adhesions between the organs that can, uh, uh, that people have to go in and surgically excise. And I've also developed something, we even talked about it on your podcast, surgical empathy. And I think what happens is when people develop psychological adhesions, reason cannot get through because it's an adhesion. If it's a psychological attachment, you may be able to sort of share with them reasoning steps, and they may be able to take that in. But I think the greater the stress in the world, the more that people grab onto something and it's like an adhesion. I also gave a talk uh, to Saudi Arabia about seven years ago on overcoming resistance to change. Mm. And my central hypothesis is resistance to change doesn't exist. And I said, what exists? See if you can feel this. What exists is non-rational, non-functional self-preservation non-rational, non-functional self-preservation. And if you think of people's minds as a silo, like a silo, a grain silo, and on the top is competence, underneath that is confidence, and underneath that is control. So the narrower your competence, but that the world loves and will pay you billions of dollars, like some of our tech CEOs, they're laying, uh, and you can think of Elon Musk, and you can think of Bezos, think of Steve Jobs. Um, it's, I am competent here. I am confident. I am in control. And they will try to pull the world into that silo because it works for them. But the problem is it doesn't work most other places. They're not capable of getting emotionally close to anyone. People do not feel intimate with them and they can't feel intimate to others, but because they have that 
lane that the world says, ah, I love my Tesla. Ah, I love going on Amazon. The world rewards them, uh, but they live in this psychological silo. And I believe they have psycho psychological adhesions. But when they're rewarded so well, they get away with it. But try to be married to one of those people uh, and, and try to have something other than a conversation that fits in how they uh, how they grok the world. Forget about it. So I think if you look at people, uh, and I won't get into politics, but you can think of some of the uh, top poli leaders who are running amok. I think they have psychological adhesions. You can't you can't reason with them. In their mind, they're right. And one of the things they cannot stand more than anything is humiliation. So one of my missions in life is is to have the world have more women leaders. Because one of the things that distinguishes women from men is some of the male leaders that we see can't stand humiliation. And they will do anything to avoid humiliation, even destroy the world. Whereas women who have children are humiliated every day. <laughs> You're walking around and your kid just won't shut up in the middle of a thing and, and, you, and you get those looks. Can't you quiet your kid? And, and, and I think anyway, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I just wanted to share that with you and have you think about it. Psychological adhesions. And, and unfortunately, if they don't listen to reason, that's why you have to go in militarily. Uh, for me, with my suicidal patients, they had a psychological adhesion to dying. Ah, if I just died, the pain will go away. Ah, dying feels like it'll just relieve everything. Uh, Whereas surgical empathy would go in. And if people would feel felt kind of a little bit like you did on our podcast with you, when people feel felt, there's a little fluidity and they mm -hmm. can sometimes let go of their adhesion to death is the only way out. So did any of that make sense? I, I know I kind of made it more my uh, my content than yours, but this is a conversation. No, no, it does. It does make sense. Um, I think that. I think you're right about people adhering to an idea um, as some sort of not entirely sure. I can't remember exactly how you put it, but it kind of a safety mechanism like survival. Right. And that, that's why, because when you look at some of these people with kind of ideological ideas or just really stuck to one idea and unable to listen, it does kind of seem like it's an animal in survival mode, right? Where it's like, nope, I'm not going there. I'm, I refuse to listen. And I'm not listening. I can't go there. I think I, I honestly think I used to be like that more um, when I was, a, and I was younger and I was sicker and I was on medication and, you know, there's all that. But when people, um, when people suggested this really sticks with me because I changed so much. But when people suggested that I look into alternative routes for, for uh, my medical problems, I pretty much just shut them down. And it was kind of because it would be insulting, right? It was like, well, have you tried diet? And I was like, how dare you? Like, I just had my hip replaced. Have I tried diet, right? So there's a way to, to kind of have those conversations without being condescending. But I do remember times when I went to naturopaths and some of them said, Hey, I think, you know, you should cut out gluten. Gluten is going to be a problem. And I was so stuck to 
the medical community. Cause I think I'd, I'd been in it for so long. My dad's very science focused. And I was like, no, that's the scientific way. There is no other way. I was really stuck to it. And I ended up looking into diet because I spent from the ages of like 19 to 22. And I just ramped up and up and up reading and reading and reading scientific papers. And those scientific papers led me to gluten being a potential problem for people with autoimmunity. And so I went to diet the scientific route. And then when I realized the medical system had missed some of these scientific papers, um, then like my entire world exploded. Like it really exploded when I I went on the diet and was like, this isn't going to work. I just went on a very, very low carb diet. So it was like meat and greens. And it made a massive difference in a month to severe crippling. Like I had arthritis everywhere except for my spine. And it was like a month in and I felt significantly better. And my entire worldview fell apart. So I went from firmly believing, like I used to argue with people in class about beliefs. You know, I was on Facebook arguing with people. Uh, debating. And when I lost faith in, when I was like, no, the medical community missed something. I was like, well, what else, what else am I believing in really strongly that's missed something? And then for a couple of years, I didn't have faith in anything. So it was like, well, the government, do they know what they're doing? Like do police officers know what they they're doing? You know, any figure, any authority figure, I was just like, are they real though? Right. And then I suppose you do get older and you're like, well, everyone's a a person, whether or not they're in a figure of authority, we're all just people. So I think growing up had something to do with that. But I'd say maybe people who have this kind of adhesion mindset haven't had their belief systems just shattered. Right. Because I'm pretty disagreeable. I'm pretty stubborn. And I think I was like that before I had my belief system shattered. And it happened a couple of times. It happened when I first tried diet which was just like a very, very limited paleo diet. Then it happened again when I went to just meat and was like, people can survive off of only eating meat. I thought you were going to die of scurvy. I thought I was going to get vitamin deficient. I was like, what, what is going on? What's real out there? And then I suppose too, when my dad started showing up in the media as this evil alt-right character, I was like, well, that's not my dad. Like that's not right either. I was like, is the media lying? Like, is anybody telling the truth? So I don't know. What was, what was it like when you went through that period of a couple of years when you couldn't believe anything, you know, that you were hearing that, that everything was suspect and, and the more they claimed to be an authority, the more cynical you were about, you know, you know, what, what's their ulterior motive? What, what was that like to not be able to believe anything? It was pretty scary. I was like, it also coincided when I, um, I stopped taking all my medication when my symptoms started to go away and I ended up in extremely severe SSRI withdrawal. So it's hard to differentiate between my belief systems shattering and the SSRI withdrawal, which caused unbelievable excruciating anxiety and depression. So it's hard to separate them, but for a number of years, I was pretty scared and um, I Googled a lot. I spent a lot of time reading. And if anybody, like anybody, it was very bad at a certain point. If anybody said anything, they're like, you know, walking down the street, I'd have a friend say, oh, this building's, this building's old. It's like from 1936. I was like, is it? Google that. So I don't know how enjoyable I was to be around, but I did it to everybody. 
Um, I did it to like friends, did it to dates I went on, did it to my dad. It was like anybody said anything factual. And I was like, is that even true? And it turns out if you Google people, a lot of it's not true. A lot of what people say, just they're just saying things they've heard or that their parents have told them and it's not true. So what was it like? It was scary and time consuming and a lot of Googling. I don't do that as much anymore, but I'm still skeptical. This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN hides your IP and lets you access forbidden parts of the internet. Want to buy research chemicals from China? NordVPN. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Listeners outside the U.S. know how much bigger the Netflix catalog is here. Or if they don't, now they do. It's bigger here. Suckers. Now I'm in America and this immigrant can access your Netflix. But while traveling or in sketchy areas, I still do use NordVPN. You probably know NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. It doesn't buffer or crash like others I've used, but you may not know all the ways it can protect you too. Phishing sites or malware sites, for example, are only getting better. Even companies like Facebook, Meta, not Facebook, Twitch or LinkedIn get hacked routinely. Those of you who've manually changed passwords over a dozen accounts understand the pain. NordVPN works across all your devices to protect you from all those threats and more. They're hands down the best VPN in the game. And I've been using VPNs for years. If you haven't tried them already, now's the time to start. Take advantage of my exclusive limited time offer today and see what full online protection really feels like. Grab your NordVPN deal today over at nordvpn.com slash TMPP or use promo code TMPP for 61% off their premium plan and their free anti-malware feature, all with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's only at nordvpn.com slash TMPP or promo code TMPP, which is the acronym for this podcast. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Let me share something with you and, and tell me, is it okay if I, because you trigger things in me that I want to share. Is that all right? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, of course. That we're, that we're conversational. Uh, and for some reason or other, I am drawn to, to things that are um, counterintuitive, meaning I never would have thought of it that way, but intuitively correct. I think that mm. would work. You know, so the so the psychological adhesions, a lot of people would say, I never would have thought of it that way, but that's probably true. Uh, the reason they're not open is it's not an attachment where you can reason your way through. It's an adhesion. You know, it's, it's like they're internally, it's an adhesion. Uh, so uh, part of what uh, you were just uh, uh, triggering with me and in, in, uh, in sharing what you've been sharing is uh, I, I wrote a book during the pandemic called why cope when you can heal. And when I asked people, especially women who were somewhat in touch with their feelings, uh, thinking of writing a book, co-authoring a book called why cope when you can heal, they'd stop me and they'd say, if only, and I'd say, if only what they said, if only I could heal. And I'd say, what do you mean? They say, I cope. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Well, coping is better than not coping, but I, I'm not free. I, I don't feel peace. I'm exhausted. I don't feel joy. I have fun. 
And then when you say to them, do you think you could get through it again? Many of them will look at you flat out deer in the headlights. I don't know how I made it through the first time. I don't know why it didn't take me down. I don't think I could do it again. And so one of the things we talk about in the book, and this is what I tell me if this is counterintuitive. Uh, and I think some of it was coming out. This is why I was drilling down to your two years of not being leaving any, anyone. So I believe that when we're traumatized, we develop something called the horror, terror, don't panic trifecta. So something is horrifying. The world doesn't know what to do with me. It's not going away. I'm terrified. I can't take it anymore. Don't panic, because if you panic, you're going to you're going to freeze. You're going to paralyze. You won't even be able to communicate to people. You know, so what happens is we do everything we can to push that away. And something that often enables us to push it away is adrenaline and also testosterone. So what happens is veterans to push it away, the horror, the terror, don't panic. They push it away and superficially they have a veneer of feeling I'm superhuman. Geez, I didn't think I could make it through the next shift. And I, I'm a healthcare worker. I've just been up for 48 hours. That's pretty cool. But inside, you know, something's messed up and the danger and the adrenaline and testosterone, which allows you to make it through you realize there's going to be hell to pay when the danger goes away. So I think veterans and I think healthcare workers are going to, uh, when the danger goes away, all the stuff they pushed inside and away to survive. What we're calling the horror, the terror, don't panic because you got to function uh, is going to come up and threaten to rip them apart. And part of what needs uh, and that's why we call it surgical empathy. Part of uh, what they need is to safely allow themselves to experience and feel what they could when they were surviving. Mm -hmm. I believe ayahuasca and psychedelics work because often people now there are people who use it recreationally, but the people who use it therapeutically, they're often control freaks. But their being control freaks is not working for them anymore. It's a, uh, it, uh, but they can't let go of control because they don't trust anyone. And if they let go of control, they're going to panic. They're going to shatter. And so I think what the psychedelics and ayahuasca do is it's a, it's a sort of controlled therapeutic psychosis. You're going to go in and you're definitely going to be out of control. And we're going to walk you through. You have the throwing up as part of it. You know, everybody throws up. And what's happening is your mind is deconfiguring because it wasn't working the way it's working. And I use the metaphor because I'm trying to create uh, something called guaranteed to blow your mind, uh, how ayahuasca works. And the idea is. If you think of our mind when we're born is a Rubik's cube and think of it being in the wrapper and it's pristine and then life messes it up and we solve it. So it looks like it's in the wrapper. But as life gets complicated, the way it looks in the wrapper doesn't work anymore. You know, life on the outside is different than life inside a womb. And if you keep trying to solve it for how it is in the wrapper, it's not working anymore. And so I think what ayahuasca and psychedelics do is they scramble up that Rubik's cube, 
But when they solve it, it's a different design than it was in the wrapper. And it's a design that you can lean into in your life. Is this making any sense to you? I think so. I've done quite a few psychedelics. I'm not entirely sure how to think about psychedelics. Like I almost think about them as connecting you to a spiritual level as well. Absolutely. Like, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty wild and they can be extremely helpful for um, trauma. If you're ready to kind of delve into it, right. If you're, if you're get, if you get to the headspace where you're like, okay, okay. For instance, when I was going through that whole thing and in really bad shape um, Mm -hmm. after I figured diet out and then went off of medications and then just waited to get better. Um, I didn't do psychedelics for a number of years. Cause I was like, I cannot adding that into the mix right now. Like I, that could go down a really negative route and you, I, you don't want to have like, I mean, some people have bad trips and then they end up better afterwards. Like even if it was a negative experience, but I, at that point I was like with, especially with SSRI withdrawals, like I can't risk it. It's too scary. Um, and it wasn't until I, was in a better space. I, w- I actually felt better. I'm not saying this works for everyone, but I felt like stable enough. And I was like, okay, there's some trauma really. And there's some parts of myself that I might be hiding that I really need to sort out because you can like <clears throat> manipulate yourself in all sorts of ways and like hide little parts of yourself away so that you don't see them. And I was like, I want to make sure everything's out in the open. And I did a number of pretty heavy dose mushroom trips. And it was incredibly beneficial to me, I think. Like, I don't think there was any negative downside. Um, and I think I was able to sort through some problems that would have stayed hidden for a long time. Um, psychedelics are really wild. I think that they, they definitely need to be used in a therapeutic setting. And people need to do more so, research. So as you that. remember, tell me if this fits your trip, because I've been trying to uh, explain it to people in a way so that you, there may be a way to do it without the mushrooms, but can, can you relate to this, that you, you took them, you were in a, in a more of a mental, healthy, less fragile state than you'd Mm -hmm. been before. So you knew that. And what happened is uh, in the middle of it, your mind, as you know, it, it's almost like it, it, uh, decoupled the things that you believed uh, that you you were adamant about you weren't so adamant about but it was okay and things just started being loose uh, and but you were somehow okay because you were mentally healthy enough to not go off the deep end and never come back and what happens is um, they they were they were loose but then when they came back together again here's the metaphor I remember a, a, someone I know came in uh, and, and she said, this is what psychedelics did for me. She said, psychedelics work like a plumber. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, my mind is like plumbing that works, but it doesn't flow. It's like my mind is jammed together and I make it through life, but it doesn't flow. And psychedelics rip out the plumbing And then the plumbing gets reassembled organically from a place that's more organically cohesive inside yourself. And when you come out, 
the water flows. But, but, but before the trip, uh, if you haven't had psychotic breaks and you weren't thrown in hospitals, uh, it's like your mind is plumbing, but it just it just doesn't work. It creaks. It's and, and maybe yeah. it was assembled because of childhood trauma or who knows what or disbelief in authority figures. But the, the psychedelics rips up the plumbing and then reassembles it in a natural way. And you can just exhale and feel like life's going to be OK without having to make sure that you make it OK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK. I like that. I think I, I agree. I agree with most of that. Uh, I definitely agree with the feeling that it gives you afterwards that you don't have to control everything, that things are just going to work out. Like it really does. Uh, it really does leave you with a sense of, I don't have to control everything and almost like God's will, but psychedelics. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I definitely had had that. And then for reorganizing. Yeah. I mean, I've, like I said, I've had really positive experiences with it. Like for me, I, they made me at that time, they made me more loving. So I had more empathy towards other people. So there were people that I was like, this person's kind of annoying, right? Cause there are people that are like, you don't get along with very well. Like that person's kind of annoying, or I don't like that person that, and it's not like I was like actively mean, but I had one experience where I saw every relationship in my entire life and how I was contributing negatively to each of those relationships. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm doing that. Like I'm contributing negatively into the world that way. And it wasn't even judgmental. Like that's the, that was the interesting thing. It wasn't, you're a bad person for doing, for acting that way. It was more kind. It was like, here's how you're acting badly towards other people. Um, that's wrong. And then I was just like, well, I'll just stop then. And it, so it was just like pretty simple. It was like, I didn't know that. I feel really bad that I was contributing negatively to some of these relationships and I'll stop now and I'm sorry. And then it was, you know, forgiveness. And they're, ju they're just, they're crazy. <laughs> they're, so they're so, so crazy. I want to throw, here's another word to throw into the mix that I'm okay. hearing. Just like I gave you the word uh, uh, determination. I, I think a non-mental health word is impatient. I was exceeding when I was annoyed, I'd be impatient and something about it enabled me to be more patient. I didn't have, yeah. they didn't have to agree with me. They didn't, they didn't have to fit a category. They, they could just be different from the way I see it. And I was just more patient with it. Whereas before it, it's almost like if it didn't fit a certain kind of pattern or belief, I got annoyed, but I was able to kind of, just let it, let them be the yeah. way it is. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay. Determined, determined and, and more patient. And, and more that, patient. That, that it is, it's actually more accurate too. Cause it really is. That is getting frustrated or you're talking to somebody and you're like, why don't they understand things the way I understand them? You know, what's going on there. And it is really patience. I like that. So, here, so, so here's something you're going to do in one of your podcasts. Okay. Um, and because it's such a good podcast, um, see if you can get Paul McCartney on. Oh, no well, way. Well, no, part, no, but part of what you're going to do, and maybe you can leverage your dad, is we want to have you on 
or you can say, this is you, Paul, I want to have you on because you d- the Beatles did a song called Let It Be. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Yeah. And I'm discovering that that's what I'm learning to do. And it's making me a better person. And we'll play the song and let's have a conversation about it because it seems like the more people are trying to control other people, the worse the relationships are. And so listen to the song, see if it resonates with you. And then, then, you know, you call all your leverage cards. I think you could pull it off. Mm. Uh, In fact, I know someone, uh, I could get an introduction to him. I believe if you can't get one yourself. Okay. Okay. Well, I'd be interested in that. Let it be. That's a great song. I'm all for that. Yeah, listen to it. Listen to it. So okay. I, something I something I sometimes do, I did this when I had your dad on the podcast, is I sometimes speak to my listeners uh, who will listen to this podcast. If you're listening to this or watching it, if if we put up video excerpts, very much like her father, um, Michaela is not trying to be controlling. Her intentions are not to run over you. What she's saying is, hey, I've had kind of a uh, I've had kind of a traumatic life and I've been searching for ways that will work for me. And uh, and the search put me uh, looking at things differently than conventional ways, but it worked for me. And so I wrote it up. but. Uh, I'm not here to tell you uh, uh, I'm a know-it-all and you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just saying, you know, life's been pretty challenging. And when I tried to solve it following conventional approaches, I didn't get much relief. And what I'm discovering is how I got relief. And it seems that I have a platform. So I'm sharing with you how I got that relief. You know, I put it into a book. I'm not saying you're wrong if you eat whatever you're eating. I'm just wanting to share it. And, and I remember when your dad was on my podcast, uh, and one of the things I pointed out to my listeners, he's not saying empathy is bad. What he's saying is to just be give unconditional empathy that everything your child does is wonderful, is setting them up to fail. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, and you don't want to set them up to fail. But if you make everything they do wonderful, they can't learn. And the world's not going to treat them that way. And don't do that. But, but of course, you know, listeners will take something and they will run with it the wrong way. So please, if you're listening to this, re-listen to when I had uh, Michaela's father, Jordan Peterson, on. Because... Their intentions are to help the world. They don't have the intent. They don't wake up saying, how can I make the world worse? (laughs) It's the opposite. And just like Michaela understood after she did uh, some psychedelics and some work that, huh, I might be seeing the world not the way it is. I, I might be impatient. I might be a little bit unforgiving. 
I may be running into people who are actually forgivable, but I have an unforgiving streak. <laughs> and my unforgiving streak, you know, sometimes screws things up. You know, I, I got to do something about that. So please, if you're listening in, um, know that her intentions match her behavior. A lot of times people have intentions and then people and people misweed their behavior. But I think your intentions and the intentions of your dad are great. So Thanks, where can people, Mark. well, no, the, the world, the world, I wouldn't say the world needs to know more about you because they know a lot about you, but they need to see you through the lens of your wanting to be helpful as opposed to your just gratuitously wanting to stir the pot. Yes. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't particularly mind controversy, so I'm not adverse to stirring the pot. But no, I just want people to not suffer as much as they do. Life is so hard. Like if you're not actively suffering, you should just rejoice. Just party it up that day. <laughs> like, yay, I'm not suffering today. And so any way to reduce that amount of suffering, that's what dad's trying to do too. And he does talk about how empathy he like he does sometimes get quoted as saying empathy is bad but he's so compassionate it's crazy like when he has people come up to him on the street saying you know your work has helped me he'll just cry like he because he feels things like so it's definitely not about controversy it's definitely not about controversy it's about trying to you know do what you think will reduce suffering in the world and I thank think you. you're doing it. Well, thank you. Thank you. So the best place for people to find out more about you is? Uh, YouTube, probably my podcast. So you can type in Michaela Peterson and that's M-I-K-H-A-I-L-A Peterson on YouTube. And then I'm on Instagram, same thing, Michaela Peterson. And I have a website, MichaelaPeterson.com. And if people are interested in the diet, I have LionDiet.com and everything on there is free and it's just information about what I've learned and how I've put myself into remission. So that's where you can find me. I love that. I love that. Um, so thank you for listening in. Thank you for our finally finding the time. Um, uh, I'm at your service if I can ever be of any help. Uh, and, and that goes to you, my listeners. And uh, uh, thank you for uh, subscribing. That seems to help. And do write reviews at Apple Podcasts. Tell us how we can do an even better job. If, if, we're, not, uh, if we're not connecting with you, tell us how we can connect even better. And until next time, everybody, take care. Take care of yourself and be, be kind to everyone.